Hi, we're in a new episode of the History and Politics podcast, and we have a great guest. We have Anthony Macedo with us. He's an Angelino, and we are going to talk about Mexico. Hi, Anthony. Hi, how are you doing, Camilo? So I was thinking, you know, a lot of times uh, it has been talked about Mexico a lot, and I think in in the American and, and the English-speaking academy, Uh, I think there is a lot of interesting sociological, anthropological, and historical, you know, like uh, accounts of, of of Mexico not only today but in its past. But I, I don't have actually read that much about like uh, uh, Mexican economy. So what should we know about Mexican economy? Okay, um, so historically, uh, Mexico has had a very antagonistic relationship with the U.S. Uh, it makes sense because half of the Mexican territory was lost during the 19th century with the war uh, with the U.S. Uh, so there has been a lot of resentment in Mexico uh, towards the U.S. because um, they feel like uh, the U.S. were the aggressors in the war. Um, I believe something similar happens in Bolivia when it comes to Chile with territory that was lost. Um, however, it does it does wane uh Uh, so it depends on who's in charge or who the groups in charge of Mexico are. Uh, so Mexico, like all, almost all the Latin American countries, they all became independent uh, when uh, Napoleon invaded Spain during the earlier 19th century. Uh, and then uh, Mexico, of course, became independent. However, unlike the U.S., Mexico was a mess for a couple of decades uh, because the elite was more divided Um Mexico is the 13th lar largest uh, country in the world, so it's and it's very regionally divided. Um, so it's really hard to get consensus. So during most of the 19th century, there was a lot of infighting uh, within Mexico, and the economy stagnated. Uh, however, uh, eventually, uh, the liberals won, um, and Benito Juarez was the leader. However, after he passed away, uh, Porfirio Diaz uh, became the president of Mexico. And he created a system where uh, Mexicans call it Porfiriato. Uh, that means that for, I believe we'll see the 30 or 40 years, basically all, um, basically his period of government was the, what in France they call the, the Bella Apoch. The, so uh, between 1870 to like pre-World War I, uh, he was in charge and he was a liberal uh, and the economy was growing and growing. Um, that's when the he welcomed investors and stuff. Uh, so that's where most of the railroads in Mexico were created um, through British investments and stuff. However, the, the economy was very unequal. Uh, so... I believe it mirrors what happened uh, elsewhere in Latin America. Uh, and during that time period, uh, Mexico industrialized, but not as much as Europe and U.S. because they still depended it on commodities. Uh, during that time period, it was uh, silver. Uh, so after a while, there was the Mexican Revolution, which was actually more like a civil war. Uh, that resulted in a one-party state which is you won't which was not seen in other parts of Latin America uh called the pre eventually what what we call the pre 
Um, and it was basically a corporate regime that Ling left. Um, the closest analog I can come with is Turkey uh, with Ataturk, uh, with the Kamalists, uh, where they were like uh, anti-clerical, uh, they were nationalistic, uh, 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 and they hated the previous regime. So I, I, the closest analog to the pre, I believe, is Turkey, um, not the rest of Latin America, because the rest of Latin America, there was um, like Mexico never had like a military juntas take over or they never had anything like that. It was all control, one party system. So between uh, pretty much 1940 to the uh, 1980, uh, the one party system adopted um, so even though they leaned it left, uh, they adopted an import substitution system. Um, so that meant that uh, they discouraged foreigners. Uh, they discouraged like uh, uh, foreigners from going to Mexico, but they promoted. They try to promote domestic industry to try to industrialize under a uh, nationalistic manner. Uh, well. Eventually, that system faltered. Uh, during the 70s, they found a lot of oil. Uh, they borrowed uh, future money. They messed up. And like the rest of Latin America, the eight, 1980s was a complete disaster. Uh, so my parents are from Jalisco, Mexico. And they, like many Mexicans, uh, migrated to U.S. during the 1980s because it was, it was a disaster. It was, they, they call it the lost decade. Uh, so what happened was within the one-party system, um, I be- well, there was like a revolt within. Uh, so the technocrats ended up winning, uh, and the technocrats ended up adopting quote-unquote neoliberal reforms during the 80s. Uh, it started during the La Madrid, uh, but it, it really spearheaded with uh, Salinas. Uh, and then Salinas worked with the U.S. to eventually create uh, NAFTA, which was a free trade agreement between Mexico, U.S., and Canada, uh, which was uh, ultimately signed, I believe, in 1994. Um, however, uh, since then, Mexico, in my honest opinion, has benefited from NAFTA. Uh it's a lot of, I believe Mexico uh, does more manufacturing than all of the rest of Latin America combined because of NAFTA. Uh, however, Mexico right now, it's kind of like Italy in that it's very regionally divided. So a lot, large portions of the South, um, not including the tourist areas of the Yucatan Peninsula, they have stagnated. Uh, and then the, the center has, parts of the center have done well. But the north has benefited the most uh, because that's where all the factories are were built. Uh, like for example, places like Monterey, uh, Tijuana, Juarez. Um, so to give you an idea, uh, if if you, if you, if you take the U.S., like people usually associate Mississippi with being quote unquote the poorest area of the U.S. Um, if you compare it to New York. Uh, I believe the ratio is two to one, like uh, G- GDP per capita. Um, Mississippi is obviously poorer, but it's n- it's not 
that much poorer compared, like, for example, Northern Italy with Southern Italy. But if you compare Nuevo León with Chiapas, Chiapas is the poorest state in Mexico, and Nuevo León is, along with Mexico City, the richest one. The ratio is closer to four or five to one. Um, does, um, does that make sense, Camilo? Yeah, it's it's an interesting um, uh, survey of, of of the economic history of of, of 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 Mexico. I think it's it's really interesting to to to, to hear from you. Yeah, I, I I think it's 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 really. I think that that is something curious because uh, a lot of people like think that, uh, particularly outside Latin America, think that Latin America is very similar, but in reality, it has very kind of particularities, and particularly a country like Mexico, which is so large, which um, has its, its its own history that 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 goes back to, to pre-colonial times in in many ways, um, and and I think. Th- there are, as you mentioned, like the particularities about like the 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 industrial um, production in, in Mexico. I remember, like, was uh, I hear if I wasn't wrong that that uh, there was a study about like the work hours in 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 Latin America, and and Mexico was number one with sixty nine hours, and 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 the second was Peru with sixty. And 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 I and the others were also pretty high, although a little bit less than 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 Mexico and, and and Peru. And it's like a lot of people like have the idea that 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 people in Latin America are kind of lazy, that you know, like. But in reality, it's it, it's not like that. And and obviously, like obviously, at sixty nine hours. Uh, uh, a week, it's you know, like it will it will. Take uh, a toll on on you know like uh, on on people's health. You know like it's 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 a lot of overwork that they are doing, and many times, as not only in Mexico but in general in Latin America, sometimes this overwork is not paid. Just that um, people do it because they 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 have the fear of being fired and things like that. So, uh, what what I going to to ask you was about like the the region. So I remember like. Uh, uh, when I was younger, I guess in, <laughs> since elementary, I think uh, I, I have like rock music, and I remember like hearing from 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 ba- bands from from Monterrey, you know, like bands like Kinky, um, and then Kiro Club, uh, uh, and and there have been a lot of interesting like uh, musical pl- projects from there. So I. Like, but when I hear about, it, I was kind of surprised when I start hearing about like Monterey because Monterey had kind of its own identity, and and it has you know its kind of of of, of identity as an industrial city, but also kind it was uh, it seems it was a an a cultural hub in other ways, you know in 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 having its own identity also. Um. Well, yes, uh, Monterey. Uh, um, it's sort. It's. Let me check. I believe it's like three hundred miles from the Texas border, so it's not. It's not a border state. Uh, 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 but it, it's it's up there, closer to the U- U.S. side of 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 uh, the U.S. side, of, geographically speaking, because historically, uh, 
the Mexican, like even during the New Spain era, uh, most of the population was like on the center, like where because uh, it was in the highlands. Um, I believe because uh, the Europeans like going on the highlands um, because they didn't suffer from disease from tropical diseases as much as uh, uh, I believe you see that in Colombia too, don't you, uh, Camilo? Where the the big cities are the like the colonial cities are in the highlands. Yes, the colonial cities are like uh, Quito, for example, in Ecuador, um, or Arequipa in Peru. Um, yes. Uh, so historically speaking, too, um, well, I mean, one of the bad things about the Spanish Empire is that they they introduced what they had in southern Spain, uh, the Ecomendia, uh, Latif- how do you say in Spanish? Latifundia system? Latifundia? Yes. Uh, so th- that system was more prevalent in the south. And the center was more like ranch style. And then the north was mostly empty because most of the north is desert. Uh, and that's actually one of the reasons why the U.S. was able to conquer half of Mexican territory because it wasn't very populated uh, area. Uh, so by Monterey being in the north, they were a little bit isolated from what was happening in Mexico City. Uh, another example is Merida. I don't know if you heard of Merida in the Yucatan. Uh, yeah, a little bit. So historically speaking, uh, before the before Fidel took over Cuba, uh, Merida was more economically tied to Cuba than the rest of Mexico uh, because it was easier to transport stuff uh, via the ocean, and it, it in some cases it was even physically closer. Uh, uh, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it, it makes sense. Uh, in Mexico too, like uh, people think it's just the Aztecs, but the Aztecs only conquered like a. We're only like before the Spaniards; they only had like a s- s- small portion of Mexico, like where the Mexica. Uh, it was mostly the center uh, where where Mexico City is now, um, and I believe that's one of the reasons why the Aztecs are promoted because they happen to be the the uh, the indigenous group that was where the capital city is. Um, so I'm guessing for outsiders, when they think of like indigenous groups in Mexico, they usually only think of the Aztecs and if anything else, they think of the Mayas, but then they don't think of anybody else. Um, but Mexico city, I mean, Mexico is full of different indigenous groups with different, um, indigenous languages. Um, and then for example, some historians, they divide Mexico into Mesoamerica and then, uh, Arido America, which is where the North is, um, and then parts of the Southwest of America, uh, the U.S. are as well. It's, it's an interesting uh, distinction. Uh, I, like you, now that you mentioned the Maya, like um, the the area that you, you the region that you mentioned that was the poorest, like uh, um, in the South. Uh, how how does call like uh, the, the, the so, technically speaking, the Maya areas are not the poorest uh, because the Maya areas tend to be, because uh, of the geography, they tend to be the area, the major tourist areas. So like Cancun, Merida, uh, Playa de Carmen, Tulum, that's all Maya territory. Uh, so 
a lot of tourists go there. Uh, so those areas are not that poor because, you know, even though tourism, uh, tourist jobs are not that high paying jobs compared to, I don't know, finance, tech or manufacturing, yeah. uh, they still bring money. Um, so technically, like, so that you, what, what is considered the Yucatan Peninsula, which, uh, there are three states, uh, Quintana Roo, Yucatan, and I, you can even include, uh, uh, parts of Campeche, uh, but mostly the Yucatan and Quintana Roo, uh, they get a lot of tourists, so they're not that poor. So the, uh, the, the areas that are really poor are geographically speaking would be more like the Southwest. So from... So Guerrero, Oaxaca, and uh, Chiapas. Those are the three port ones. Yeah, so so Chiapas is where the Zapatistas are, right? Yes, uh, and it's the one that... Uh, it actually it used to be part of Guatemala, and then Mexico won over the territory over Guatemala, over Chiapas. <laughs> yeah, it's... So ethnically, what, what, what are they... I guess there are several ethnic groups, but so um, I mean, when it comes to indigenous groups, uh, I'm like most people. Uh, I mean, like when someone mentions the name, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, but like it, I'll be hard pressed to like me for, to come out the names. But just to give you one example, uh, those like those three states I gave you, they're very mountainous. Uh, so if you, you see like a similar uh, pattern, you see like in the Caucasus. Uh, where there, there's like so many indigenous languages because mountainous areas uh, pr- uh, discourages ho- homogenous, uh, especially in language. So like a place like Oaxaca has like tons of languages and it's like uh, just one state. It has it probably has more languages than uh, like six Mexican, uh, six other Mexican states combined. That's that's really interesting. And uh, too, but Chavas is uh, more tropical as well. So, yeah, I, I mean the Zapatistas are are a very like interesting group. I I I have a friend who uh, he's Peruvian like like me, but uh, he studied um, a semester abroad in 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 the Ibero. <laughs> I think it's called like uh, the. Ibero-American University, I think he's a, is a Jesuit university um, um, because he studied here in a Jesuit university. So I guess they have, they have a, you know, like kind of agreement. Mm-hmm. But like the when, you know, basically his semester ended, like he went to the to where the Sabbatistas are and they have a lot of security to let people in, but they let them. And and what he was saying is that this is very curious because it reminds me a lot about the discussion about like the uh, what was going on in Seattle in the autonomous zone, you know that and 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 I I guess there was you know uh, the uh, the kind of you know like kind of. It, the autonomous zone saying that you cannot set up an autonomous zone within the autonomous zone, and people were trying to dunk on them, but more or less what he was telling me about like uh you know the the, the territories uh, within the Zapatista control was that uh more or less like it was autonomous zone within the autonomous zone so so any community there had kind of autonomy to to set up the things in the way they 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 see better for them so it was really kind of interesting 
Yeah, so uh, I, I haven't been to Chiapas, but I have uncles and aunts that went there on vacation. Uh, and they told me, yeah, like, okay, yeah, you go outside the city and then you see people with guns and then you just pay them a fee and then they, they, they'll let you do tourist-related stuff. Um, but yeah, like historically, Mexico hasn't really had control of most of the territory completely, like 100%. Like it always uh, wanes and stuff. Uh, and Ch- Chabas is the modern example. Uh, although what I'll tell you, Camilo, is that like nowadays, most Mexicans don't really care about the Zapatistas or uh, Chabas. Um, yeah, I mean, I, in the main, in the mainstream. Um, yeah, I think at one point, like they were kind of, you know, very uh, kind of a postmodern militia in some way. Like, um, but now I think you know, like the people in the left are talking more about like the, um, the you know, like what what's happening with the courts and 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 another kind of. Uh, autonomous attempts in, in I guess other places but but what I have you know like um, you know like from what I get like it's it's not like they are you know like communists in the in, in the you know kind of of of, of traditional sense of, of the war like um, I think uh, Cyric Barn who is a, a Marxist podcaster once, uh, when I was talking uh, with him about Latin America, he he called him like some sort of proto-Proudhonianist in the yeah, way that you uh, know like, the the French system that's like pro small business. <laughs> yeah, something like like that. Yeah, so so he called it like that because like I think they they have a lot of a lot of their income has to do with uh, coffee. So the production of coffee is important for them, and and now it's it's very hit because like people are not exporting, and uh, it's going to be a, I guess a really tough time for them. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I mean economically, Chapas is pretty bad. Um, I, I, I mean it. I don't want to sound racist, but like a lot of Mexicans consider it like Central America, like in the negative connotations. Um, but on the other hand, it's it's becoming famous for a tourist uh, destination because it is like beautiful and it's it has like nature wise is like famous. So they are getting some tourist money. Uh, it's not as big as the Yucatan Peninsula. Um so they could wor- they could work more to try to promote tourism. Um, they could work more to uh, like th- you're talking about the coffee. I've had some of the coffee too, and I had coffee from Oaxaca, and it tastes pretty good. Uh, they just haven't promoted it as well as other like for example, like if you go to Europe, like they they promote like their like oh the wine from this region or the cheese from that region. Um, and like, oh, you can't use this name because this this name is like, uh, it has to be made in, in this geography. Uh, Mexico has that with tequila. Like, for example, you can't call a product tequila unless it's produced in certain regions of Mexico. I feel like the uh, they they should go more towards that angle because uh, they can sell stuff at a higher margin uh, than just the commodity. Does that make sense? Yeah. So... So to 
to keep talking about the economy, I think some of the things that are interesting and are that, you know, like, uh, uh, for example, like Tyler Cohen, who is a, a, a libertarian, who, a libertarian economics professor at, at, at George Mason University, was the other day talking with uh, Darian Asimoglu, another um, famous uh, economist. Uh, and they were talking about like uh, Mexico and, and, and Taylor Cohen's mentioned something that I was really surprised. And he said that, you know, like in productivity of car production, Mexico, Mexican workers are more productive than, than, um, uh, than the South Koreans. So that is a very kind of like uh, interesting, like uh, uh, fact, because, a lot of times, like there is kind of this narrative that the Latin Americans are lazy, you know, like, but, uh, you know, with, you know, like the numbers and, uh, it, it seems like the South Koreans also work a lot of hours. So, so it seems that there is really some kind of productivity there. So, 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 uh, at what- so what it is in Metsco is uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's geograph- ge- geographically, it, it varies like some areas like Carretero as well. Querétaro uh, in Spanish. Uh, they're very productive. Uh, they've been growing for a while. They were growing at the pace of South Korea, while pace, uh, places like Oaxaca were actually stagnating. Like they were getting like negative growth. Um, um, so besides the, ge- the geographical issues, uh, the issue with Mexico and I'm pretty in from what I read in all of Latin America is that uh, while in certain sectors the productivity is high. And it's competitive uh, uh, in 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 the global context. Um, it doesn't have the sufficient spillover to other sectors of the economy, mostly the internal uh, one. Uh, so even though the productivity might be high in manufacturing, for example, autos, uh, steel, uh, whatever it might be, that does is not translating for there to be productivity, like for example, in the in the informal sector. So if you go to a, like, if you go to Mexico to any Mexico city, you'll see a lot of people selling food in the streets. I love street food, but if you're in a place where there's a lot of street food, that means that the, that means that the, that the informality of the place is really high. So I don't know, uh, Camila, do you follow Sudo Ramos on Twitter or on his blog? No, no. Uh, so he focuses on e- economic uh, history, but he also focuses on economic development. And he always compares uh, Chile, Uruguay, because those tend to be like, quote unquote, the two uh, places in Latin America that people like uh, put praise to. Like, uh, it, I guess if you're like, uh, to simplify, if you're like more like right wing, you you always just say, oh, look at Chile. You know, they, 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 they did the whole like free market reforms in the past and, and that's why they're doing better if you were a little more left-wing especially uh on the prior prior administrations so, oh the why is doing well as well you know compared to other places in latin america right uh what like pseudo rama says is that if you compare chile and uruguay and even argentina with uh australia and new zealand and he uses australia and new zealand um because those tend to be faraway places from uh from where most of the supply chains in the world are, um, he sees that uh, while like in Chile, like copper 
is very productive in um, uh, like fisheries and some other stuff is very productive. The rest of the economic sector, like in Chile and Uruguay or Argentina, it, they're not as productive as what you find in Australia and New Zealand. And that explains a lot of the, like the GDP per capita differences or that that explains why one the, those countries are middle income and the other ones are are developed, and you see the same pattern in Mexico. Um, like you, you go to Mexico, uh, Walmart is huge, but then you walk around and you see people selling shirts that you know. I mean, they have to do it to make money, but it's not very productive. Do you yes, Milo? Like. Yeah, I mean the the only places where where it's kind of productive is in Latin America. I guess it's El Alto, which is in Bolivia, which is uh, a place that has been called. I I, I have tried to to baptize as, as as a mix match between the Paris Commune and Gal Gadot, like the 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 city which you know like uh, Ayn Rand referred because it's kind of a pure free market, like in 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 the you know in the purest sense of the word, like it's a black market, so. The, nothing has price and and but they sell everything there so it's not just like uh not just uh um clothes or you know like or food it's they they sell even cars on the street so so yeah it's 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 like a a, a market in in the most much very like it's very funny because i i'm surprised like a lot of libertarians talk about like um about um about Somalia, I used to talk a, a, at least a lot about Somalia. Like Somalia is a libertarian utopia, but but Lalto is is a closer thing that I think there is or has been to a libertarian utopia, and it's very like very curious because it's uh um how how to put it uh, it's 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 I mean people have like this very entrepreneurial you know like kind of mentality of, of having a business of running a business, but it, they also have a very kind of communitarian tendencies. So there are uh, networks of, of, of support, of things like that. And, you know, like uh, a lot of libertarians have as you know, like we will build the roads. Uh, and in, in El Alto, like actually like like the neighborhood associations have built the roads and have built the schools. And, and in some areas of, of El Alto, they have actually kicked out the police. So the, the same neighbors were kind of policing the neighborhood in, in some way. So, yeah, I mean... I guess in in other cities like that, I think it, that it plays a huge role are in Uno, and in you know in 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 Juliaca here in Peru, which are also cities of of an Aymara majority. And so so I guess there is something of a pattern between the Aymara, and and that's a really interesting um, aspect. So. Um, there is a, a, an archaeologist that used to work at, at the U- UCLA that actually had a theory that the Tiwanaku Empire wasn't actually an, a, an empire, but rather was kind of a, a, a collection of, 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 you know, of people that was united more or less by, by culture and by, by, you know, by, by the language then. And, and their connection was kind of more of, of, of activities or celebrations and, and even religion with the time. So in that sense, they, they have, you know, like this idea of I, I, like, you know, this, these people going around from town to town, like exchanging stuff. And, and, and it's kind of commercial mentality, like Bill was builder, 
and and I guess in other parts of Peru, like the the center also has kind of this mentality, even if less radical. And and in the northern parts also of Peru, there is kind of this mentality, also less radical. But but I will say like it's it's like it's very difficult like like something like this school could replicate. It's because like the Aymara regions of, of both Peru and Bolivia have very a, a huge deal of self autonomy. So no matter like the government is left or right, like uh, you know the police there is you know it's it, it has to control themselves because they know like the 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 Aymara are going to 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 like since they are much more organized than other ethnic groups, like they have much stronger ways to resist and and. And, and and in that sense, I guess like I, I will I will call that like the only case where I think like uh, there, there has been really you know kind of, of of prosperity of the black market because uh, like even the economies have raised a lot for example, but in other cases it's not that much. I mean the the, the because obviously selling cars is much more uh, is much of a bigger business than you know selling you know street food. But the, the you know the other kinds of black markets in, in Latin America are not that you know or, or street sellers um, are not that you know like high you know in in, in the way I mean in in Peru um, in Lima maybe there is a little bit much higher income to street sellers because the um, the the well a lot of people are live here so but in general it's not a it's not a sustainable way to to build economy in general <laughs> so right. so yeah I, I understand your your point so i think that the issue with mexico and i i'm pretty sure all of latin america because i i do read some stuff on the rest of latin america is that um i don't think it's a I think the biggest issue is not like a libertarian versus like social democracy, like left or right. Um, I think the biggest issue is state capacity because uh, in a lot of places, the state A is weak and B uh, generally speaking uh, to form like big businesses or like medium sized businesses, you need to have uh, people need to have trust Um because in Mexico, a lot of businesses, uh, they're just small. They're mostly, a lot of them are like family-based or like a friend or a cousin. They work they work together, but they tend not to scale up um, like they do in, like, for example, in the U.S. Uh, and that's um, because people don't trust like uh, non-family, non-friends to be in the businesses and like in the business because uh, it, it is a big risk. Uh I, I, but one of the exceptions would be like, for example, like you mentioned, some of the indigenous groups uh, in Mexico, um, Mennonites do well because they have a lot of trust within themselves uh, to form businesses. Uh, the other major group in Mexico that historically speaking uh, was able to deal with like state capacity issue were like the Le- Lebanese because um, they had a lot of connections um, and, and uh, so a lot of Lebanese uh, became successful in Mexico, and actually Carlos Slim he comes from a Lebanese background. Uh, yeah, so for the people that don't know, Carlos Slim is, is um, the richest man in Mexico and one of the richest men in the world. So yeah, he's yeah. I mean, uh, I think that in 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 the Peruvian case, to to put in a in a kind of comparison. 
um, two of the of the immigrant groups that have done it well have been the Italians. So the largest bank of Peru, the, the Credit Bank of Peru, was created as the Italian bank. Um, uh, Peru used to have a very important, uh, you know, maritime industry. So you know, a lot of fishing, uh, and the the CEO of, of, of that you know enterprise was was of Italian descent. Uh, and there are a lot of conspiracies. He was murdered, and some people think it, he was the government because he was kind of popular. Um, and there are kind of these uh, conspiracies in, in, in different ways. Um, I mean, um, other groups that have done uh, pretty well have been like the the Chinese diaspora here in Peru, and and I think in in, in some ways like um, also because like they have you know a very strong family links, like you know like the uh, there is a you know a chain of supermarkets who I guess will be the, the equivalent of, of Walmart in in Mexico that is called Wong. So Wong is a, a Chinese uh, surname. Um, and, and in general, like, like I, I know of, of Chinese families that are, you know, in the mining business uh, So Peru, uh, like Bolivia has been historically a mining country. So Peru is the sixth, uh, producer of, 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 of gold in the war. Um, and, and, and obviously this activities, uh, have like, uh, it, it's true that have huge investments, but also have, you know, like. Uh, particular when when the prices of of, of gold were were high, it, it was a really good business for for them. Um, so so yeah, I, I understand what what you were saying, and it's a really interesting like uh, question, like the question of state capacity, because um, I think if one could see like the broad region, I, I I will say that that one sees that there are countries that have developed a very kind of effective state capacity, and I will say that. Curiously, and I think in, in some t- cases it, it has kind of an historical narrative, are countries like Uruguay and Costa Rica that are have, you know, uh, uh, relatively competitive elections, which, which has led to, to kind of decent competition in order to, to win elections and, you know, like to, um, to improve the life of, of their citizens. So I think in general, th- those two are kind of like, countries that have uh, an important state capacity also um, not to spoil like the socialists that are fans of, of Uruguay. Uh, Uruguay actually has some things or some sort of things like like this, the the economic autonomous zone, which was the, the things that, that, that many left-wingers were were hoping that it weren't implemented in, in Honduras, actually are implemented in in, in, <laughs> in Uruguay, which could sound funny, but but it were implemented. Um and I guess other countries that have some sort of, of state capacity in in, in 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 very different ways are are, are Chile and Colombia. So Chile uh, has a, a state capacity because it, it basically uh, the Chilean state has basically lived in war with the Mapuches, and and it's very interesting. Like the Mapuches have been uh, a huge part of, of the mythology of Chile. But in, in actually, like the people, most of the Chileans are if are of, of of indigenous descent, but they actually aren't from indigenous descent of the Mapuches, because the Mapuches are much more to the south, and they have been able to, to a certain degree to conserve their their you know like their kind of autonomy. So it's now really that 
the Mapuches are kind of mixing with the rest of the population, but they, they have been like the idea of, of you know, of, of, of kind of warrior kind of, of, of mentality. And, and in the case of Colombia, the, the kind of development of, of, you know, state capacity has, has been done mostly because of, of, of the, uh, how, how to put it, I mean, it, obviously terrorism has played a huge role. So uh, the political violence that it has been in, in Colombia, it has been like really uh, a, a need to develop uh, state capacity in order for the country to exist even. Like it, it was... It was basically that because, like the at, at one point, like uh, like the, the FARC were committing like terrorist attacks every day, and if if you know if the state didn't act, like like people were going to, you know, say better, like better, we are better with the FARC than with the government. If the government cannot protect us, so in that sense, I guess you know it it kind of develops some kind of state capacity. Um, and and I guess these are kind of the four examples that I could give, and I think that. You know, the rest of Latin America is much more mixed. Um, in some cases, like the, there are some regional um, elements to, to the state capacity, so regional state capacity. So uh, in Brazil, for example, the, the state of Sao Paulo is generally considered a very uh, business-friendly region. So, um, but areas like Rio de Janeiro, you know, like they cannot control crime. Like a lot of people that I, that I have met that have, you know, travel series have get robbed. Uh, so, so it, it's, it's, it's thing like that. So how, but how is, is Mexico? Because I think uh, assessing the state capacity of Mexico is in many ways much different. So this is what I'll say. So, I mean, what the state capacity in Mexico, um, I wouldn't say it's horrible uh, because like, like if you compare Europe to, with Mexico and even Latin America, um, so Austria used to be part of a, an empire, right? It used to control the Austria-Hungarian empire uh, or the Holy Roman empire. Um, uh, but nowadays Austria is just like a small state. It'll be like a, uh, it'll be like the size of one Mexico state. Uh, it probably will be, is there states or Providence in Peru? Like regions are not that prominent. I mean, they, they they exist, but they are the regional governments are not too too important. No, um, but in terms of size, in in Peru, um, pretty big, no, the, the territories or the states. Yes, yes, yes. So so when I look at at like so like when I compare Mexico to Austria, Austria couldn't hold the Czech Republic and Slovakia as part of one like one empire slash country. Uh, but Mexico was able to, uh, even though there are more languages spoken in Mexico, the geography is more varied in Mexico uh, than Austria or almost all, except for like Russia and Turkey, like, like all the European countries, they couldn't hold, they couldn't hold territories where like, uh, like from a Mexican perspective, it, it seems kind of like, I don't know, it seems kind of weird. I don't know, like, like, how can you not hold that territory or like it, it's like the distance is it's like from Mexico city to this city. And we don't, we don't think of it as being far, you know? So I think in terms of holding territory and stuff, that state capacity in Mexico. It's, it's, I believe it historically speaking, it was built to do that. But in terms of uh, like scaling up businesses and, and rule of law, that takes a back seat. Uh, 
I, I guess you see a similar pattern in Russia where like, like it's a huge territory. And, and like the way I look at it is that corruption is prevalent in places like Mexico and Russia, because that's one way for like the government to control various different entities in a big geographic sphere. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think the, the same could be say of Peru that even has less state capacity. Um, I think one of the of the you know like uh, advantage that has Peru, despite all, all its problems of state capacity, which is very limited, is that in in the case of Peru, um, there is a very kind of of, of a strong. Um, I mean, um, like universities are very old, so. Uh, Along with uh, the National University of San Marcos, along with the with the UNAM in Mexico and the, the university in Dominican Republic, are the oldest uh, universities in 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 the region. So, uh, Colombia, for example, is have better like uh, health facilities, but now it doesn't have enough like uh, physicians um, because like uh, obviously universities take a, a, a time to develop and. And and Colombia has some universities, but have some universities that don't teach medicine. So um, that's a, that's a problem. But in exchange, like Peru has had universities in the 16th century. Like so, it 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 in in that sense, I think it has a, a slight advantage to to other countries. Like uh, for example, like well, or at, at the like some people say, you know, like well, now it seems like it's not doing that bad in. In the coronavirus, but some reports said that actually is doing pretty bad. Just that they have stopped counting, uh, you know, deaths of coronavirus, and and in that sense they look well, but but they actually are are much worse in Peru. By I mean, not in population because like obviously their population is much small, but but the possibility is that actually the number of real cases and real deaths is is in percentage even even worse in Peru. So. Um, I think for a while, uh, too, like Chile, like uh, they were saying, oh, we're doing so well, we can have immunity passes. And then, nope, per capita, they were like doing worse and then they hadn't changed their plan. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that's interesting. I mean, uh, now that you mentioned uh, about like uh, the, we are talking about like the, the coronavirus pandemic, for example, like one of the interesting things, uh, not, not, I don't know if, if call it interesting, but in in some way, it was kind of revealing, like the attitude of of, of of Amlo, is that he has been trying to, in some ways, I guess, uh, handling the pandemic. Like he was kind of much more quiet, you know, that to act than, for example, like Peru or Bolivia or Paraguay or or, or Uruguay. Um, the, the issue in Ecuador is very mixed because I, I think uh, they they have a slightly more. Uh, power the municipalities, so some municipalities acted quickly and others don't. But um, but yeah, I, I think they they have kind of a, a much um, a much lax attitude toward the the pandemic. What what do you you think that is the cause of, of the the attitude uh, that that the AMLO has taken? So AMLO, um, first of all, he's not as bad as Bolsonaro. I I think we can all agree he's and this. From- yeah, I think it, that's that's true. He's up there with Belarus and or Nicaragua. Ortega's pretty bad too, actually. Looks yeah. I um tr- uh, with Amlo, I- I'll put him almost on the same level as Trump. Um, so like Amlo, he's he's not 
he's not going against the science. Like he's not like, uh, but he's like, like he's not wearing a mask. Uh, he was doing rallies, even though he knew about the virus. Uh, so it's at that level. The issue in Mexico is that they're not doing that many tests. Uh, so that's problematic because uh, looking at the data, the countries that have done the best are the ones that have like done uh, uh, testing and they traced it. And then they isolated the people like in Taiwan, Germany, um, Korea. Um, but the thing with AMLO is that even though he's from the left, he's not technocratic. He actually hates technocratic solutions. He's more personal rule style president. Um, and in a situation like the COVID, it you can see his attitude where he he doesn't pursue the more technocratic solution. That that, that that's the way he, he governs. Uh, I, I I don't know, but I was kind of my instinct is called him a, a Macron without democracy, <laughs> like because like Macron is also a very personalist like kind of president, but at, at the same time like. Uh, like France has a, a a kind of professional elite that is very competent, and so I mean, it, <laughs> I, I, during the Mexican election, uh, the the twenty eighteen where Amlo, the last one where Amlo won, uh, one of his uh, rivals, uh, he was running the pan, the pan candidate. He was running more as the Macron style, like technocratic, like. Like I like like big tech uh, that type of style. Uh, Amlo he he's he's a weird person for foreigners to understand. Like like I don't know if you're on Twitter. You like almost every single week someone will post. Amlo is not a leftist. Amlo is a conservative. Um. So the way I see Amlo is that he's he's. He harkens back to the old pre, so like before the technocrats took over. Um, so when it used to be more like leftist, leftish, corporatist. So he likes that he from the like the seventies and sixties. Uh, but he's kind of a reformist in a way because he kind of does the free trade agreement. So that's why he he even went this week to Washington D.C. for the Temec, which is the a successor to NAFTA, the free trade agreement between uh, Mexico, U.S., and Canada. Um, so um, he is like all over the place. Uh, like socially, he's conservative. Uh, he doesn't really believe in institutions. Um, he's more into clientelistic networks. Um, and even though for foreigners, he doesn't really look like a leftist. He always makes fun of conservatives in his speeches. So he's kind of a, a hard politician to decipher. Uh, maybe he's like most like the Mexico five-star movement without the <laughs> social network. Yeah, it, it's it, like, it reminds me also a little bit about like Evo Morales and his coalition. Like uh, Evo Morales, for example, is is not too woke on some issues. Like, and I mean, like he he lived and he was born in a in rural Bolivia. So you know, like the discussion about like uh, you know feminism or you know like gay liberation were probably not you know that 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 common. You know, but um, 
but I think you know, in some ways, like the the movement over socialism, which is the, his organization uh, until the, the the coup that happened like last year, it was kind of moving toward a, a much more uh, broader socialist perspective, and, and it was very curious uh, because it was moving in a in a in a very interesting way. So a lot of you know, like both the feminists and LGBTQ activists were kind of saying to to you know to politicians in 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 the movement or socialists particular to indigenous politicians you know uh, our problems are our depression and depression that we suffer is very similar to the depression that indigenous people have suffered so uh, we have a common cause we have a cause for for liberation and and with that rhetoric i think you know the movement towards socialism was uh, moving toward a more kind of uh, socially progressive um, kind of uh, direction toward, to, to be fair, it wasn't like as radical as Uruguay, which uh, it's a very kind of different story there. But at the same time on, on economics, like ever was not, you know, like, a, you know, like let's nationalize like uh, everything. And, and, you know, it, it makes some nationalizations, but he was also not, I think in some ways, like he is much more pragmatic. Uh, he was much more pragmatic. I think he his big mistake was uh, having trust in the Bolivian military, which is like uh, very you know deceitful. It has you know it's not uh, an institution to trust. Um, but so, but I think it, yeah yeah what yeah so yeah when it comes to Amlo, because he's kind of hard to decipher. Uh, this is my theory. The way he likes things is that he likes to have a final say on things. So I don't think he's a socialist. He's not a he's not a chavista. He's he's not a any of that. From it, he's a priesta, an old priesta, like we call Mexico. He just likes to have a final say on things. So like, say if a former president is building an airport, he's gonna cancel it because it didn't happen under his watch. Um, but he doesn't mind free trade on manufacturing and stuff. Um, he just likes to have a big say on things. And then the other thing with AMLO is that he sees like oil as the cure for everything. Uh, so since, since he's been in power, he's actually like done authority on all like uh, many social programs and government institutions and, 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 uh, so he cut like the, the the medical sector. He's cutting a lot of stuff, and then he moved the money to Pemex, which is the the state owned oil company. So my theory is that even though he, I mean he comes from the left, um, he doesn't want to raise taxes. So he's not that style of the left. So not like the one you see in Europe or the U.S. Like with the Democrats or or Sweden or anything like that. He doesn't want to raise taxes for the Mexicans. So the way he's going to work around it is by um, getting more funds from the uh, the government, getting more funds from the oil industry. So then he can use those funds to do the distribution. So then he can create some clientelistic networks that will support his cause in him. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's that's also happening in, in, in Peru, for example. And in, in 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 believe there is a lot of, of fear of, of of tying to tax the people 
uh, particularly kind of more working class or, or, or even middle class or and sometimes even upper middle class because some of the of, of the indigenous people in the commercial sector um, are actually like kind of well off and, and to some degree or another you know because like um, uh, like uh, at least in in the large cities relatively there there is like um, you know like uh, a kind of much more complexity of of, of, of trade networks, but uh, but there is kind of as you mentioned, like this kind of like clientelism. Uh, so the idea that you know, like they are going to lose the boats. So uh, Peru has a uh, like uh, around like uh, almost seventy percent of the economy is informal. So Bolivia, like it's very similar, um, and. Yeah, I mean, uh, kind of targeting the, the this kind of informal markets, it, it's it could have a very like tough cost, and it's very curious because like Peru has have much more right leaning governments, and Bolivia had Evo Morales for many years, but on 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 tax issues, they they were they stay more or less the same, you know, not you know trying to to change that much. So I kind of understand why why. Uh, why um, uh, AMLO is the logic behind AMLO. Um, so I think b- before we go wrap up this conversation, I think what 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 do you think if, if, if it's it's a stake at, at, at the future of, of, of Mexico uh, politics and economics? Because... Uh, it seems that you know the 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 coronavirus pandemic is gonna hurt obviously all of the world, but uh, in some ways uh, Mexico's economy is particularly vulnerable for for several reasons. But one is that also what we haven't talked that much, but is that Mexico is a big uh, tourist destination, and and some people are arguing that 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 to go back to the levels of tourism that we have the the year before, it's going to take a while. Um, the other thing is that, you know, like the prices of oil have, you know, uh, are going down. Um, so obviously these factors are, you know, and, and obviously the number of, of, of cases it seems to, to, to still grow in and, and obviously there's going to have an, an effect, you know, the, the deaths of many people, uh, so it's it's going to take a, a very uh, strong toll. And, and how do you think are the, the possibilities of Mexico to well, recover quickly, or if there is going to be any change in in, in the coming future? So unlike other Latin American countries, um, I believe Peru and uh, Chile, Mexico hasn't done any stimulus uh, spending. Um, they've only done it uh, something minuscule. Um, because AMLO, even though he's from the left, he puts a lot of emphasis on quote unquote being in the budget. Um, so he doesn't want to like go over the budget. So he hasn't done any stimulus, which it's unusual. Uh, I believe it's the only major country in Latin America uh, and among them, the emerging markets that hasn't done any stimulus. Um, so for this year, uh, some people are predicting that Mexico can even, the GDP could even contract to. 10 to 11 percent from i think the range is between 7 or 11 so this year it's just gone uh, economically now my big worry with amlo is that he has a very stubborn personality so if he, he 
my biggest fear is that he won't pivot. Because even during this whole epidemic, uh, instead of like, for example, instead of, okay, you're not going to do stimulus, but at least you can like move some government resources uh, from something that's not important to like, for example, the Medicare, the Medicare center to, to deal with the COVID, right? Instead, he's, um, he's still trying to build uh, like three of his mega projects, which is a rife. Uh, one of them is a refinery in his home state. Uh, that a lot of economists thinks it's doesn't make economic sense, but he's doing it quote unquote to create jobs and quote unquote for Mexico to be uh, self sufficient when it comes to oil. Uh, the other one is he's building a train called the, the Train Maya, um, and then the other one is that he's building an airport after he canceled an airport that was already thirty percent completed uh, in Mexico City. Um, so it looks like he's not a person that pivots. So even though like the circumstances might change, it looks like he'll still continue his path. And the thing about Mexico is like presidential terms last six years. And this is, uh, he's still in a second. Uh, so that's a long way. Uh, the other bad thing about Mexico is that we started this in a bad way because in his first year, the economy contracted. Uh, by a little bit, it pretty much didn't grow. Um, so hopefully he's able to pivot. On the bright side, he's into free trade, uh, which I think personally is a good thing. Um, and he's signing, he's into the whole new continuing with the trade agreement with Temec. Um, so my biggest worry after this year is probably stagnation, unless Amlo is able to pivot. Yeah, that's an that's an interesting uh, observation. I think it's it's a, a strong possibility. Um, I mean, it, it's true that uh, both Peru and 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 Chile have you know recovery package. Uh, uh, actually, like uh, uh, a former advisor to to the Minister of Finance have said that you know. Uh, the government of the UK has contacted the the, the, the the Minister of Finance of Peru to talk about like the the the, the stimulus package and, and 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 basically copy some things for for the UK to to to, to copy that. So that's a really um, weird thing. So I mean, like Latin America is is, is full of, of of contradictions. So at, at one point there are you know this kind of really genius. Uh, um, people were really capable. Uh, uh, one of the it was a Peruvian economist who was uh, in direction of one of the largest investment funds in in the UK, actually. Uh, but at the same time, you know, like there are you know um, hospitals here in Peru that are are, are have been constructed and this the construction has started like in in in, in ten years ago or and it still aren't done so it's kind of this weird mix between like people are really competent and and, and others are really kind of incompetent in any way so yeah I think it's going to be, <laughs> yeah it's going to be a very weird to to see what what could look happen in 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 in, in, in the region soon, but I hope that things could be better. Um, not only for, for, for Mexico, um, or my country, Peru, but for, 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 for the whole of the region, but, uh, it, it's going to be difficult. Uh, 
so anyway, um, Anthony, uh, thanks so much for for being here. Uh, I hope that we could talk soon because, like Mexico, it's a it's a big topic. If we 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 haven't dealt to a lot of topics, but I think probably we should discuss that other day. So it has been really a pleasure talking to you. Me too. Uh, in, if you want to follow me, uh, follow me on Twitter on uh, Full Anto. Yeah, it, it, he, he always shares some really interesting thoughts. So thanks, Anthony. Have a nice day. Uh-huh.